Hello, and welcome to Data Kerfuffle, the unauthorized companion fan podcast from within the Wonk community of much better podcast Knowledge Fight. I'm Anna, a cantankerous pedantic know-it-all, and I am here to try and make all your Mark Richards nightmares come true by presenting, for review purposes, <laughs> selections in sequence from the highly dubious Imperial Marin, book one. This is the creative output of murder conspirator and far-famed space weirdo Mark Richards, whose visions of a bizarre armed takeover of Marin County, California were discovered during his trial for hiring children to murder a creditor. He lives in prison now, where he is semi-regularly interviewed by Carrie Cassidy, iconic grumpy charlatan and arbiter of an alternative reality in which everything is aliens, nothing is ever white people's fault, and all enemies of America turn out to be literally not human. So that's cool. Anyway, to further explore the mind and ideas that drive Mark Richards to collaborate in Carrie's universe building, we are going to explore the product of his much younger self's creative ambitions. Hold on to your seats for some purple prose, my friends, and I will see you on the other side. Imperial Marin, Book One. Copyright 1990 by Mark Richards. All rights reserved, etc. Dedicated to those who understand that liberty comes at the price of vigilance. Chapter 1 The first to see the bellowing sails had been the eldest cub of the Panthera Leo Azandica Pride, while he descended the precipitous path from the plateau of Lionhead to the beach. The sun had risen, and the night mists still lay thick upon the tidal estuary. The cub first heard the rhythmic flap of skin wings against biomasts, then the sharp bow of the long, slender vessel nosed out of the opaque whiteness. She sparkled a bright sky blue, some sixty yards long and something under twenty in beam, without counting the retracting wings. She seemed some huge bird floating across the sky on her twin gossamer appendages. By the time Duke Erdelic de Zondica had scratched together a force of paragons and warriors and gained the wall of the castle Lionhead, the intention of the windship to ascend the valley at low altitude had become plain. An old pride chieftain shook his grizzled mane. It is not one of the High King's vessels, that's for sure, and it's like no merchant ship I've ever seen. No, agreed Duke Erdelic. I think it is an Amazon raider. I've never seen one, I admit. For some reason they never venture this far north. But I've heard them described often enough. I can't understand why Earthwatch would allow them landfall. But if they try attacking this plateau, they'll wish they'd stayed out in the winds. He swung about and addressed his eldest brother, Thornpaw. Run to the Meadows of Magic and blow the war horn. Send a mail up the tower to communications and call Comcon. Get the old and the young, the sick and the nursing, into the castle, along with all the herds that can be quickly gathered. Then send half of the paragons and mother claws to the bodega tower, and tell the rest to stay here. Erdelict watched in silence as his brother's heavy mane of gold, brown, and black hair led his best young warriors off the wall. Goldfang was one of the first to join Thornpaw, heading a dozen and a half runners of his own. The deep-throated sound of the great horn was still moaning the length and breadth of the plateau, while clouds of dust were beginning to rise into the lightning sky. The biomutants at the cliff's edge could not see the ship now, but they felt its presence in their whiskers. Goldfang growled impatiently, clawing his sword hilt. We should send runners to warn the inlanders. The humans aren't as well able to fight for themselves as are we. Send runners to the village of Bodega, replied Thornpaw. That ship could be to San Rafael, ere our runners reach the ridge. No. And besides, where there is one of those sky paragons and the largest of the pride of the Titan campaigns or merchant missions, I'll not countenance any more weakening of our defense, pride brother. And look, you, the great biomutant lion swept his paw to the east, where several massive Triskelion stormships pressed towards them. The humans have heard our call. The palace will be alerted. If there is to be violence, let it be between the Homo sapiens. Mistress Tamra, 
Mako Sharkrampin's consort and ruler of the lands of Marastrella, had been out for several hours on her morning ride. She and her retainers were combining the exercise with some desultory hawking when they saw a rider coming hell-bent across the fields. The full-armed paragon drew rein before her and saluted quickly. His dust-covered body streamed sweat, and his mount was flecked with foam and still shuddering with effort. "'My lady, the shark rampant prays you return at once. An Amazon brig from Manaus has come and would dog at the castle. It is said that the River Queen herself is aboard and seeks an audience with our master.' With a hard ride they reached the castle before the slowing wind-chip. Tamara was glad that she was seated when the strange visitor's horns trumpeted their arrival. From the corner of her eye she studied the aged form that sat next to her for some sign of what to expect. He was the man she loved more than life. An iron hand rhythmically closed on the crystal pommel of the golden sword Chrysaor, the symbol of intellect associated with the spirit locked in the head of the oldest symbol of masculine conjunction, resting point down on the stone floor. The tired old man who held the great weapon gazed silently towards the trefoil window in the huge room's opposite wall. His thoughts wandered over the mysteries that were a part of his life. Everything seemed to be held by that window. The emblem of the Trinity and the Triskelion, it had come to signify knowledge of the divine essence gained by hard endeavor through sacrifice or study or both. Tamara reached out to gently touch the aged king's right arm, but he sat unmoved. Her eyes touched his strong brow, remembering all that made this being so powerful. In the whisper of history, the narrative of epic heroes is all too often the description of an illusion. Aside, that is the worst sentence ever written. <clears throat> In the whisper of history, the narrative of epic heroes is all too often the description of an illusion. The recounting of past deeds of glory finds all too few rocks of truth in the mist of time. This revered lord of noble courage had charged from the clouds of darkness to protect his world so many times. Nobody ever thought what happened to such a hero as time demanded payment for his many deeds. It is said that such questions flooded the great master's mind as he sat in the flickering light of truth during the last years of his life. Once he had been such a hero. Mako Sharkrampant, king of the Triskelion, lord of the seas of earth. But that had been in his youth, when he still believed in good without evil. And the sun still rose over the future of virgin dreams like a man over some lush maiden. In his later years, there had proven only cold, heartless truth. As the moments of his life had passed, he had watched Marin grow from revolutionary cause to the most powerful empire in recorded history. He had seen magic replace technology as the force behind growth, and he had lived with the greatest hero of the age as a brother. He had lived through four wars, and had paid for Earth's first expedition to the outer planets with his own funds. Nobody ever tried to count his offspring, though even Tamra knew that the man had loved only once. A complex, dangerous prolifically talented leader, who was also a womanizer, poet, artist, and dreamer. He, perhaps more than any other man, except Jason Pendragon himself, built the age that created the foundation for all life's reality from that time forward. Tamara looked out over the court of Marastrella. Dozens of beings of all types wandered quietly, with great expectations of what might happen next. It had been many hours from the first sighting of the Amazon wind ship and now the last rays of the sun gave way to the night. The atmosphere of the huge great hall hung dark and heavy, cloying with the sweetness of exotic honey-laden flowers, a multi-image hollow screen through the light of its ever-changing pictures across the room, but it did not reach the shadowy corners. Ornate tapestries covered the walls, somber battle scenes full of screaming unicorns, the raw colors of wind-chipped banners, ancient weapons and trampled earth stained with the rich blood of the wounded. Biohide-covered furniture, savage in its heavy elegance, filled the room like a gathering of mythical beasts. The main doorway was set in a wide redwood frame of fantastic swimming sharks where each creature swallowed the tail of its leader in an endless predatory race. A floor of black stone tiles shone with the polish and passage of many feet and paws. It reflected everything set upon it, with the murky distortion of swamp water. Ornaments were scattered throughout the chamber, laser armor, a great clover of sabers hung on the north wall, and a wealth of jewel-encrusted sculpture. 
Lord Salvant officiously ushered in the three visitors. Tamara hardly noticed the two older females, but the mere sight of the young man sent a goose flesh over every inch of her skin. Jason, she breathed, more to herself than to anyone else. That face was his, and each line of the slim whipcord body, even the pantherish grace of his movements, were those of the young Jason Pendragon, High King of Marin and her grandfather. But how could such a thing be? Jason had vanished sixty years before. Then she realized that Salvant had started to speak. Felt that these matters were of such urgency that she herself embarked to inform the Triskelion. Her ship has sailed night and day under a peace broadcast to Earthwatch to reach Marin for this meeting before going to the palace of the High King. I thought it best that the Amazon vessel be moored amongst your private fleet, since some of the merchants are known to bear ill will toward the Lady Lowe and her lords. At this there was a tittering of the gathered throng, and the two older women laughed openly. Tamara noticed that even the younger man allowed himself a wry smile, and that smile, too, seemed to come as if from the history hollow viewers of Jason. Decades of life had granted Mako instant control of his emotions. His face held position like a mask, with a cold, controlled gaze towards the young man in the middle of the room. Tamara nodded. You've done well, Lord Salvant. The guests may be presented to the master of the High Winton. The court herald banged his staff, bellowing, Lady Lowe, Queen of the Amazon, Lady Sherry Pendragon, consort to the Great Pendragon, and Queen Mother to the High King, and His Royal Highness Beowulf Pendragon. The herald stopped for a few seconds as if to consider what to say next. Then he went on with a title that none of them had heard before. Prince of the Summer Star, Lord of the Valley of Dreams, War Duke of the Time Runners. The room burst into a rage of whispers, but Tamra did not hear them. Beowulf, she thought. What other name could such a man bear? He had been slain twenty years ago, and he had been a man past forty, yet here he stood before her, that same young uncle who she had adored. How could such a thing be possible? The two older women knelt, but the young man bowed formally from the waist. The obeisance due one equal in rank. When he spoke, his voice was deep and rich, but so too had been that of the earlier Beowulf and his father, Jason. My Lady Tamra, often have I heard your beauty praised, but lavish as that praise might have been, my own eyes now tell me that it always remained an unforgivable understatement. My lord, she replied, your compliment has been most gallantly couched and much appreciated, but my curiosity has become aroused. If you are who you appear to be, how and what now brings you to this court? Beowulf took a step forward. My lady, I assure you that I am who and what I seem to be. One of the reasons that I went to Manaus first was that I knew I would find my mother there. He is Beowulf Pendragon, the still strikingly beautiful Queen Mother interjected. I even had a blood DNA and retina identification taken. He is my son. Watching him, I have little doubt of that, Tamara nodded. I remember his movements well, and they would be harder to fake than DNA. Although we shall wish to hear what I am sure will prove to be a fantastic story of how it is that you have returned from the dead. I feel that whatever mission brings you to us now is far more important. Indeed it is, my lady. Beowulf seemed to be unsure of whom he should face. The charming woman, who seemed to be doing all the talking, or the aged man, who still held the power of an empire in his hands. I bear urgent intelligence for the ears of the High Winton and the Triumvirate alone. I must speak with them, and soon. Tamra shook her raven tresses. If no one else had informed him, she might as well do so. He'd know soon enough. Lord Beowulf? Prince, the man interjected coolly. Excuse me, she gave him a curt smile. Prince Beowulf, if that is who you are, my protector, the master of the High Winton of Marin, holds the Triskelion while the High King and many of the major lords of the Triskelion are on campaign on Titan. We are all equals in rank and power, so you may deal with us as you would with them. Equals, thought the ever-confident Beowulf, still standing at attention. This was not the home of the equal of a paragon. A serpent, perhaps, sitting on its hoard. Yea, 
A serpent, he thought, looking into Mako's unfocused eyes. The master of the High Winton sat unmoved in the largest chair, set several steps higher than the floor of the rest of the room. He was a handsome, heavy-set man whose leonine features already sagged under the weight of a life devoted to imperial power and dissipation. Silver hair framed his face in short, elegant curls. His hands, heavy with jewelry, now rested on bowing sharks' heads carved in black ebony. The golden war-sword leaned silently from his right fist to the floor. He lounged in the chair, but there was no relaxation in his pose. Beowulf watched the master's hand curl around a carving. The shark's teeth were poised and ready to strike. Involuntarily, the prince braced himself. Shortly, Beowulf bobbed his head. "'Very well, my lady. But I know something of courts. I would speak what I know only to the two of you. These ladies will corroborate my words.' Tamara ordered the reception hall cleared then thought more deeply as Lord Salvant and his squad of black paragons tried to stay. Salvant huffed, expostulating. "'But they are still armed, my lady. You should have guards within as well as without.' Tamar laughed and laid one slim hand on his arms. "'You forget, old friend, steel cannot harm me. I am better armed and better defended than any man in this room, and my powers tell me that Prince Pendragon is an honourable man.' If you wish to serve us, have wine and fruit and cheeses brought for our friends. You've done well today. The huge black paragon lord bowed with a tight smile as she gave him a hand signal that told him to activate the automaton sentinels and stay close by the secret door. It might prove best to be over-careful under these strange conditions. Tamara had stood while making sure that her orders to clear the court followed. When she'd regained her seat and the main door had been securely bolted, she turned to Mako for some sign that she had done well. None came. "'I come with a message from the true High King, Jason Pendragon.' Tamara jolted to her feet. His words touched fears and places in her mind that somehow he had blocked from her telepathic abilities. "'Jason has been dead?' "'No, my lady,' Beowulf spoke calmly. "'My father is still alive, as are many of the heroes of the past.' But how? Tamara started to question, unused to her inability to know what images were in a man's mind before he did. And why have you returned now? A dark, bear-like voice cut through the gloom. Tamara looked to the master of the High Winton and froze. He never spoke to anybody but her, and he did so while walling off all his sensory channels from her communications. My lord, she started. "'Why have you returned now?' Mako demanded of the man standing before them. "'For the good of the Triskelion, master,' Beowulf spoke quickly. "'With the ongoing dynastic struggle weakening the triumvirate, an ambitious usurper will soon use the old powers to try and take the crown. We have returned through time and space to stand with you and our heartland in this great time of need.' "'How do you know such a thing?' Tamara questioned. I know how he knows, Mako growled in a hushed, deadly whisper. Please leave us. My lord, I, Tamara, tried to object, a mistake that had been fatal to many before her. The warmth of their bedchamber did not carry over to this place. Only the ice-blue eyes of a ruthless leader gazed towards her. With no further words, the room was left to Mako and Beowulf. Is Jason well? Mako's voice shuddered for the slightest moment. The sudden rebirth of the emotion of unquestioned trust surprised him. Yes, my master, Beowulf returned, knowing only the legends of this man who sat before him. He sends his word and landheart to you. I stand here now as his hand for your sword. So many years, Mako spoke sadly. I had long given up hope that our plans had worked. There's so much to remember. So, Beowulf, you have been selected. Beowulf stood resolutely. Again, he had been graciously granted the opportunity to die. Hadn't once been enough? Is all to be as your father and I planned so long ago? Yes, my master, provided you now do your part. It is the honor of a lifetime. Satisfaction glittered in the old man's eyes. If you serve the Triskelion well, it will serve you. 
The risks are high, Beowulf, but the rewards are great. Go with the High Winton's blessing. I will need it, thought Beowulf, as the master's voice faded into the shadows. I am honored, my lord, he said tightly. One thing before I leave. My father asks for the key. The key, Mako murmured to himself. We risked so much and paid so high a price. Beowulf watched the old man, wondering if too much time might not have gone by. The key, Mako repeated. Then his fingers flipped the cap of the secret compartment on the hilt of his golden sword. A key to unlock the gate of time and let my dearest friend return to me. Mako Sharkrampant's still strong fingers lifted the tiny red chip from the secret place and handed it to Beowulf. You hold more of a price than you know, Mako spoke sadly. When Jason learns how many good beings have died for that, do not let him question his destiny. Our parts in history were inevitable. The necessary succession of events and tell him I shall do my part. Thank you, Master. Beowulf spoke with a tone that bordered on a kindness. Something within him respected the old man and felt sorry for him. There are no masters here, Pendragon, Mako said with obviously false sharpness. I am but a servant of the Triskelion. As are we all, the younger man nodded. Mako inclined his head as Beowulf saluted and backed from the room. He smiled a small and private smile aware of the paragon's unyielding anger. The pain of the fight within the packs that had always controlled Marin's three crowns had long been an annoying ache in Mako's side. Now Beowulf returned to add another problem. Yet opportunity rises to the surface like oil on water. The mission that faced the prince was necessary and profoundly dangerous. If, by some miracle, he survived, Beowulf's already overdeveloped reputation would grow even more but he would not survive. He did not have Jason's landheart or magic. Still, it would never do to let him attempt such an important task, unsupervised. He was too intelligent to be predictable. Solvent, Mako shouted. Yes, master, Lord Solvent said within a second as he huffed next to the Winton master. You heard? Mako asked. Yes, master, Solvent nodded, putting away his energy blaster. Prince Beowulf will be returning to the Amazon windship, and then to South America, Mako voiced quietly. Make sure several of our best agents stay close to him at all times. I want a report of his dealings every other hour. Yes, my lord. Salvant, having caught his breath, went to the more familiar title. Master was something Salvant only called Mako at times of high excitement or danger. I've already had several remotes attached to the ship. And I know just the men for the job of close surveillance. Excellent. Mako gave Salvant a hand for help as he got up from the shark throne. Put the castle on yellow too, and keep your eyes open. We will, my lord, Salvant said, more like a brother than an underling. He loved the old man more than he cared for any of his seven wives. Mako had saved his life many times in the past, and Salvant had become a devoted right hand over the years. The tired, aged master of more than wonder got up and walked slowly over the cold stone floor. One thought kept racking his mind. Could he remember all the plans? Too many lies, too many compromises. Jason Pendragon had not compromised, but Jason had left this world young enough to avoid the overt mistakes of leadership. Even in those years, many people thought of Jason as a living god. Cults had been formed around his memory. The master of the High Winton stopped and chuckled to himself. Jason, a god? If the people only knew how human their grand hero had been. If they only had known the High King as Mako had. Words. Jason's words haunted Mako. The halls of organic stone seemed to echo the Pendragon's murmur. Messiahs can be hazardous to the people, my friend. Don't let them make me something I am not. But hadn't Jason been such a messiah? He had the charisma, leadership, magic, show, doctrine, and skill in interpersonal relationships. He was the kind of man everybody would follow for the right reasons. 
He had been supremely honorable, loyal to his people, trustworthy, everything you could think of that you would admire in a leader. Unfortunately, the power structure that had developed in Marin around the High King and the Triskelion had become as complex as Jason had been pure, and power attracts people who want power for the sake of power. Power attracts the corruptible. All too few were like Jason, honestly born to greatness. Mako began to climb the wide staircase that led to his tower. Every movement brought a new pain from numerous old wounds. Unlike the majority of free beings in the Triskelion, Mako refused to wear biocon units that might have relieved the discomfort. His face fought not to contort with each distress as he sought for the control of his body that he had never known. How much he wished Jason was there with him at that moment. But messiahs are not with us forever. Even if their decisions are perfect, they set up systems, churches, political ideals, and so on, that are taken over by others. They make human errors, and their errors are amplified by the members who follow blindly. How many times had he twisted Jason's words to fit his own needs? As Mako walked slowly through the arches of the Great Hall's private balcony, the soft sounds of Paragonian chants floated about the darkness. The master of the High Winton stopped for several seconds to listen to the words that Jason and he had written so many years before. See thy honor never shifting, knowing glory is uplifting. Hold to thy heart's chastity, and live by land heart truthfully. The other six verses gently caressed the darkness as their true meanings brought so many images of the past alive within Mako. Could any mortal man had ever really lived so full a life? Could any man survive so much heartbreak? Restarting the well-known path, Mako proceeded to the thick redwood door leading to his bedchamber. Opening automatically as his fingers touched the glowing lock plate, the portal revealed a quiet setting that was lavish in its opulence. Decorated by warm woods and soft silks, the room showed the recent touch of a woman that he had lacked for all too long. Without thinking, he poured himself a goblet of Beaujolais Village Jadot Burgundy and moved through the marble arch that led outside. His tired eyes closed as his lips sipped the room-temperature Beaujolais by which all others were judged. Mako Shark Rampant, once High King of the Treskelion, and then Master of the High Winton, sat on the battlement of the sunset tower of the castle of Maristrella. The crystalline walls sparkled the reflection of the ocean waves pounding the cliff below the western exposure. The night sky revolved above them, a dark, changeless black its fog-covered expression broken only by the occasional gleam of moonlight. The master of the High Winton did not move for hours. The laser torchlight struck his profile on the side of the embrasure as he sat on and shifted his shadow without his notice as it flickered within the movement of the fog in the breeze. He was aware of Tamra only as some portion of the world around him, of the cool air and forests in the southern distance, something peaceful and remote, whose beauty stirred every once in a while through his thoughts. All Mako had ever wanted was peace. He remembered his poor mother on the day of his father's assassination. Andromeda had reached her goal so gradually, so imperceptibly, that not only the means by which she had glided to the fore, but her achievement itself seemed as insubstantial as a dream. To prolong and materialize it before it could fade and dissolve as everything always dissolved when she grasped it was the first impulse of her superstition and her practical sense. Mako remembered how his mother rose early and prepared for her first formal functions as if they had the mysterious virtue of a formula to evoke and substantiate what was still ghostly and impalpable. The secure sleep of exhaustion and sorrow into which she sank after her husband died had dispelled long before dawn with the haunting knowledge of how precarious was the power he had improvised on a basis of understanding and deals and concessions. The sun had blinked over the redwoods as she looked across the balcony towards San Rafael. The gods must have smiled upon such a city, with its charming shops, its great homes for the nobility, its pulsating market, and its tiered courts for games of high skill and deadly risk. That first day of the new reign had been a day of quiet confirmation, of cautious adjustment, of diplomatic spellbinding. The city was still sleeping when Rheingold and the gentle beings who had spent the night watching the body of Hammerhead Sharkrampant made their way. <laughs> I'm sorry. No fucking way. 
The city was still sleeping when Rheingold and the gentle beings who had spent the night watching the body of Hammerhead Shark Rampant made their way to the lodging in which the Lady Andromeda resided with her children. There they found Andromeda, Prince Jason Pendragon, Little Mako, and Mako's brother Warwick, waiting in the morning half-light. Mako stood beside his mother in the patient attitude of a child already aware that he was both protected and protecting. He was a boy of ten, physically frail, with weak features and the look, docile and alert, of a friendly puppy. Despite his dutiful attitude, his attention wandered from his watchful mother to his brother, whom he adored and whose vivacity he observed with disapproval and envy. Lord Rheingold and the courtiers tendered him their service in a formal monotone. All had seemed so orderly. In the afternoon, the High Winton had met under the blue roof of the old civic centre to organize the new government. The master of the High Winton opened the session, then Andromeda said a few words, pronouncing in the low monotone in which she was accustomed to dictate to her secretaries, listening profoundly to her own voice. Since it has pleased the powers of the universe, she began, to deprive me of my husband, I do not mean to abandon myself to despair but to submit to the will of fate and to assist and serve my two sons in the feeble measure of my experience. Suddenly she had heard herself speaking as if she were in the confessional, not in the high winton of Marin, and saw the members listening like unwilling eavesdroppers. Her voice created a void about her, and as she scanned those familiar faces she realized how remote they had become as soon as she dwelt on herself. Tuning herself to their indifference, she continued coolly. All had looked to Warwick. Young and ideal in male beauty, he was also aware of the power that now sat so close to his hands. He understood all too well that Marin was in all truth a confederation of smaller kingdoms, communes, dictatorships, and democracies. People had survived the bank war and the food riots and the revolution to try and rebuild a place for peace in the ruins of the past. It was not the largest or the strongest of the nations of the day, nor was it the safest outside threats by the United States, rumors of another revolution, the unrest over the creation of intelligent biomutants, the factions at court, all promised trouble, and nothing was more calculated to precipitate it than one of the other kings of the Triskelion's triumvirate, Attila Lalak. <laughs> Holy shit. <clears throat> Warwick, at the age of sixteen, had not yet been old enough to become a king, and Mako, who had been half out of his mind during his father's last days, was obviously too young to act on his own initiative. What had occurred then had been less an elopement than an abduction. The presence of Andromeda and her mournful passivity merely sanctioned the arrangements which Attila had already made. A regency was called for, but it would be Attila, in fact, that exercised the power. He recognized the weakness of his title was evident in any formal partnership which he had established with Andromeda. He was only bolstering his claim with hers. The situation, however, was by no means clear. The claims of a lady mother to the regency of the shark rampant pack, or to the third crown of the triumvirate, were themselves open to dispute. Those rights belonged, by tradition, to the next prince of the blood. Attila had few friends. He felt himself strong enough to dispense with them, and no party or pack. He had been a party in himself. He had a large pack of which he made little use. He seemed devoted to his young wards. His first duty had been to the young prince, whose trust in him satisfied all his affections. He wanted three things for the Triskelion, common sense, conversation, and mediocrity. But Warwick could not be ignored. He saw Attila's control of two of the triumvirate's three crowns as a danger to the system of which he was soon to be a major leader. To dispute the position of Attila required uncommon assurance, skill, and daring, and Warwick possessed those qualities. His position gave him certain initial advantages. Sprung from the princely Pack Shark Rampant, grandson of the first Pendragon, nephew of the High King Ryan Pendragon, he entered the service of the Triskelion on a quasi-godlike footing whose first allegiance was to his pack. He was, in short, expected to be a bit of a princely adventurer, and in almost every way Warwick had proven to be up to the task. The public had gone mad for the two wild young princes, Warwick and his cousin Jason Pendragon. All the world seemed to talk about was centered on their antics, or on what glory the future would hold in the hands of such young men. But that bright hope could never be allowed to mature. 
Before Warwick could organize his forces, the forces of darkness ended his life by some form of evil in his drinking cup. This left Andromeda in fear for her last son's very life. And so she'd worked her deal with Attila, placing her body next to his and her son's crown in the hands of the High Winton. So it was that Mako had been raised by Attila to become a king of the Triumvirate. Mako's mind was spinning endless threads of conjecture that snarled constantly around the deadened roads of his past, times of magic and adventure, death, the constant war against the forces of evil, and a dark-haired muse who had once stolen his heart, all resolved under his probing into answerless questions. He gazed back at his own life, at the history of the realm, and picked at facts like a vulture, trying to piece them together, but nothing ever fit, nothing held. He was cast constantly out of his memories into the bite of the winter air. His eyes closed as his body searched for rest. Sleep enclosed the only freedom he ever knew now. An unconscious sanctuary that united one day with the next. A fragile province of solitude that gave so little shelter. Only to wake again to the extended nightmare of reality. He had paid too high a price for his people to live in their dream world. Someplace in his breast, the long, cold machine that pumped the life through his body fought to remind him of the heat it once produced. Once he had risked a crown for that passion, and after sixty years the lines of her face and body still clung to his eyelids. If only he had not been a king. If only he had been any other man. So many years of... She could have stayed. Had it been a betrayal? All the old pain rushed up from the darkness of his personal hell to flood his being with the horror of the past. With a physical shudder he regained control and forced the pitiless recollections back into the crucible he had built to contain the trials of his life. He had never wanted the power. What good were the glory and exaltation without an amorous adoration to share with that impossibly perfect muse? Had she really been so ideal? The corners of his mouth curled upwards as he remembered how complete their need for each other had been. But their short time together had been so hopelessly flawed. Absolute, consummate emotion, now etched in the stone of legend as the Triskelion's classic tragedy, that had been born on the foundation of politically demanded lies in a world that would not allow such intense feelings. Eons later, in another lifetime, he would come to fully understand the meaning of the term star-crossed, for their two souls were as locked to each other through the ages as the stars are to time. But on that winter evening all he could see was that he had spent a lifetime relentlessly working for his people, so that he could forget the loss of the only woman he had ever really loved. A lifetime building a world where young lovers would never suffer because of the cold hand of a government. Sight returned as he opened his eyes to face the present. Lost in the distant fog, the red running lights of a windship drifted quietly over the sky, so free, so graceful, so alone. The words of his intimate heart-brother, Jason, came to his lips in a whisper of the vision. We soar through the clouds of demands to face the winds of fortune and the storms of fate. Heaven give us strength to survive the needs of the land, so our people shall some day know the end of hate. He finally moved, stiffly, as a stone deciding to move, and slid his hands over his eyes. Flickering forms, like ancient animals without names, winged into light behind his eyelids. He cleared his mind again, letting images drift and flow into thought until they floundered once again on the shoals of impossibility. How could Jason still be alive? No wonder some members of the international press called him mad. Mako could think no longer, and leaned against his shadow. The silence within the slab of ancient crystal eased through him. His thoughts, worn meaningless, became quiet as his land heart touched his soul. It was at that moment he saw the toe of the soft satin shoe and a flicker of light blue lace. He turned his head and found Tamara sitting on the ledge beside him. Silently, he leaned over and drew her against his side. His face laid against her long, wind-blown hair, seeing the flowing strands beneath his eyes. Holding her tightly, he was quiet as he sensed a storm coming that might sweep them out of their high, dangerous resting place. She stirred a little, her face lifting to kiss him, and his arms loosened reluctantly. "'I didn't realize you were here,' he said, when she let him speak. "'I felt that somehow, after the first hour or so. What were you thinking about?' 
You mean you don't know? He smiled. Your mind walls can be fantastically thick at times, she admitted. It's nice to know I can still have a few secrets, he huffed, even though I live with a witch as a bedmate. So tell me your secrets, she murmured soothingly. Tell me, of what were you thinking? All that is, all that has been, trying to remember, he said as he polished the smooth, clear surface of the wall with the back of his left hand. I keep battering my brains against the past, and I always come to the same unanswered questions, and the realization that I would have been so much happier if fate had passed me by. She shifted, showing part of her delectable thigh, and leaned back against the transparent form beside her to face him, her eyes filled with light like sea-polished amber, and his throat constricted suddenly as he listened to the child-woman. Answer the truths. You once told me that is the only thing any of us can hope to do. I know. He searched the sky for the dragon's form that he thought he might have seen. I know, but I have been in this state of semi-retirement for almost a year. Nothing has changed. Now the past returns and I don't remember enough to be a part of it. Perhaps it's time to die. Don't talk like that, she said soberly. You're never going to die. Still looking towards the drifting fog, Mako pondered this woman's devotion. He'd always believed theoretically in romance, or more precisely, in an idealized longsop but never realized lover shadow who would, who would serve as sister, mistress, and wife to coddle, encourage, and gratify his every need. He thought he had found it once before, only to be betrayed. Gross. Ugh. <clears throat> now, to all appearances, Tamara met nearly all of those requirements. And yet he feared her in many ways, feared all women for the power they had over the most powerful men. Then he thought of what part passion had played in the history of Marin, and shivered. My dear Tamara, I am eighty-six years old. I have lived more, done more, created more, and destroyed more than any man alive. For sixty years I was a king of the Triumvirate, the lord and leader of the Triskelion and one of the builders of the greatest empire our world has ever known. He turned from the sky to look into her eyes. Never had he known love like what glowed in those reflective pools. The reality of what would happen to her when he died ate at his heart and soul. Perhaps he could hide her. The moon? Or Mars? There was so little time left. I'm tired, my dear young vibrant alive love. It is time for me to move on. Tamara stared at her king, swallowing, and then frowned down at the cooling crystal. She, too, knew that her lover-slash-friend-slash-father was... <laughs> Excuse me, I threw up in my mouth a little bit. She, too, knew that her lover-slash-friend-slash-father was dying. The godlike king, who she had always adored. This impassioned man, who made love to women as torridly and perfectly as he led men this little boy who so desperately needed to be held. He had built the dream world that her heroic grandfather had merely conceived. It was Mako who had saved her life as a baby when the American terrorists had murdered her mother and sisters. It was Mako who had brought her up as his own, who had recognized her magic arts and helped her cultivate them, and who had come to her as the unsurpassable paramour. Sadly, no matter how she had tried, Mako allowed nobody too close to the shattered remnants of his heart. To know him, to give herself and their child a chance to survive whatever it was that was about to happen, she had to smash through that wall he had built over the years of pain to protect himself. Well, her voice shook almost imperceptibly. I didn't think we could stay here forever. A, a trip. No. Tamara, this journey I must make alone. Her head lifted. With the laser light catching in her eyes again, he could not read their expression. But her voice was stiff. I'm not going to leave you ever, and I will use all the art of the holy earth to stay with you for all eternity. I have lived my whole life for you. Now you are going to have to learn to coexist with me. It's difficult enough just to exist, he murmured without thinking then flushed, but her mouth twitched. 
He reached across to her, took her hand to his chest. For one silver dragon's tooth, I would stay here with you and spend the rest of the life of the sun raising our children and a few friendly biomutants. I shall find you such a dragon's tooth. How do I fight the stars? How do I fight time? You've always found a way, she said calmly, touching his cheek with her warm, gentle fingers. My love, you are the granddaughter of the man I hold most dear, and who most of the Triskelion reveres as a type of god. You may well become Marin's first queen. And if the heroes of my age have indeed returned, this time we face the truth of our years, and— My dear brother has no intention of giving up the crown of the High King, and neither your son nor any returning hero has any want for my wild ways. What I think— which is more to the point at the moment, is that the crown of the crystal has meddled enough with my life. My lord, she said as she drew his hand to her stomach, the first Pendragon foresaw our meeting and our love in his book, The White Stag. The powers of earth have made me your consort, as they have granted me the gift of the mystical arts. You are the only man I can love, and I will soon have our child, who will be second in the history of our era only to the memory of Jason, my grandfather and your beloved companion. His eyes focused for a moment, considering the subject as her face flushed. Well, he said softly, casting their future to the winds over the dizzying face of the tower. I could never refuse you anything. If you choose to stay with me, I am not going to stop you. I want you too much. But be warned, my child love. Love me now, and you have more hope of survival falling off this tower. My son and your brother and the other lords of the Triskelion will not want another person able to claim any of the three crowns. There's more than enough competition as it is. Her hands drifted to touch his face. You have a mind and a destiny. I can only trust that sooner or later you will stumble across some hope. I haven't seen any so far. Only you, the only person in a great many years to touch me. She looked up at him again, her mouth crooked into a reluctant smile. Her body shifted close to his, her arm moved around his shoulders, and her feet swung over the sheer edge of nothingness. I love you, Mako Shark Rampant, great advisor to the High King, master of the High Winton, and lord of the seas of Earth. So let me truly touch you. Child, you are already expecting my baby. I would say that I have truly touched you. In body, my lord, and love, but not in mind, let me work my arts to give your troubled soul a bit of peace. Besides, I know that you need to reach memories that you have hidden for too long. I know that to be sure of what is ring truth today, you must find all the people and places of the past. Let me help. Her offer touched his heart suddenly like the words of a spell. I have no business knowing peace, nor can I ask you to face the images of my life. There are truths there that I have long fought to forget. By the mountain I can hold any truth in your past, my lord. It's far too dangerous. That makes no sense. I have fought next to your side when the paragons of the Obscuro family tried to assassinate you. I have flown dragons during the mating ritual with you. That was dangerous. That's different. We had no choice either time. There are private things. Mako, I am a Pendragon. I know what a being must do to lead others is not always pretty. What has gone before I can accept. Whatever truth I might learn while caressing the cells of your mind will not harm me or turn me away from the man I know you to be now. Nothing can take my heart from your side. Nothing. You don't know that, my lady. You don't know what you would face. The thought of her caught in the nightmare of his past made Mako's voice rough. You wouldn't be able to. Mako. Tamara, I have been devoured once by the beast. I watched the forces of evil destroy the only other love I have ever known. I will not risk you to the same fate. It's not your risk, it is mine. For another thing, I have been with the orb in the chamber of the ages and nothing happened to me. History tells us all of what you went through and I know... Whatever hurt you has rubbed sixty years of love from the most passionate man I have ever known. Let me find the answers with you, my love. Let me become part of you, in you, with you. 
Her words and the magic etched into his consciousness. He saw himself in her eyes, a lean, strong, middle-aged man with a worn, spare face. The great sword Chrysaor hung across his back, and an automatic heart-seeking dart gun holstered to his right thigh. He laughed suddenly. He'd not been that dashing in many years. She smiled again, watching him, her argument won. You haven't done that in weeks. No. He was still, his arm around her, and the smile died slowly in his eyes. He thought of those early days when San Francisco was gripped so defenselessly in the claws of the fiends, how the heroes of Marin had brought an end to the American police state, and how the greatest hero of all had now returned. Jason, the High King of the Triskelion. Around him were built the legends of their world, the son of Ryan Pendragon, whom Jason had succeeded as High King. He stood credited with deeds of mythic dimensions. For many he was the avatar of the Gallic god Mercurius Arterius, king of the fabled country of Oberon. He was the archetype of the mythical king, who synthesized the hopes of a race and who reflected primordial man. Tradition refused to accept his death and affirmed that he was on a star voyage and that he would reappear when the Triskelion was in need, and now it seemed he had done just that. Now I do need to find the secret, he whispered. What secret? she asked. I just gave Beowulf the key, Mako told her, but it's useless unless I do my part, and there I have a problem. What, my lord? She spoke as she stroked his silver hair. We kept our plans so secret that it's not recorded any place, Mako admitted more to his own foolishness than to the woman standing next to him. There is a code, and without it the key is useless. My love, Tamara tried to remind him gently, you realize, of course, that I have no idea of what you are talking about. And there was only one way to save the Triskelion, Mako spoke quickly, as so many things flooded back. There was only one way to save all our hopes for the future, and we took the risk. The key is only part of the system. We devised to unlock the return signal for Jason. A safeguard, if you will. Without its return, he would know that I was dead and the part of our plan had failed. There's so much to remember. Is the secret within your memories? I believe that it is. Then you must let me help you, her eyes glowed. If not for us, then for the good of the Triskelion and the beings of Marin. For the good of the Triskelion, and the beings of Marin, his hushed voice spoke into the night. He thought of the future. His whole life had been lived for the Triskelion and the beings that made up its population. Now he stood again as the door to the future, with the true key locked in some lost fine detail hidden in his history. History, the legend of the winners. I can remember all the major points, he assured her, but... I know there's something more, some small part we cannot do without. We will find it, she kissed him softly. Together we can reopen every shadow corner that your being ever came into contact with. So what must I do? Nothing, she kissed his cheek again. Come in from the cold, to the warmth of our bedchamber and my arms. Let your land heart return to the meadows it loves so. My land heart... He lifted his eyes from the distant view as they walked through the shimmer door towards the huge canopy bed where they had been so intimate so many times. To blend with the hills of Marin. You have the power, she spoke as he leaned back into the thick pillows. He watched her flowing movements in appreciative silence. The subtle tan of her skin had a milk sheen to it and her eyes were jewels of brown topaz and her hands were petals of the golden poppy and her witch-woman body was satin and held within its boiling needs the happiness of a hummingbird. She was a child of desire and aphrodisia, as much as he was of stone and stars. Firm where she should be firm, soft where she should be soft, strong where she should be strong, and weak where she should be weak. What about the baby? he questioned. I fear for you in this condition, and for the child. I will not lie to you, my lord, she spoke in a whisper that told more than words. Our child will now carry your memories as surely as we will. How better for the son of a king to know the truth of his birthright. What a gift, Mako sighed. I do not wish such a thing on one that I care for. Rest, my lord, 
Tamara knelt on the bed next to him. He will love you all the more, knowing what you have gone through. He will understand, as I do, that the risk is worth taking. As he smiled at such true art, so free and gentle, without shame, she removed her clothing and came to him. Her hands moved slowly over his relaxing body. He felt the thick sides of his robe open and his loins cloth fall. Then Tamara's warm, tender, nude body pressed to his. His hands held her temples as her lips floated over his. Never has there been such a heart. Never has there been such love. Wander with me, my heart, my love. Not even Mako could have guessed what would follow. It had been said that a witchwoman like Tamara could reach into a mind to find memories that nobody would be aware of, combine them with her own knowledge of history, and literally recall the past on a level of reality that came close to time travel. Mako had heard of men who had died during such mind trips. Death he did not fear, not his own, at any rate. There were stories of witch-women being killed by such excursions, and, and what of the child? But it was too late to change events. Already Tamara's magic worked its way through his body. He never knew or asked if she used drugs, hypnosis, real magic, some type of computer-controlled dream scanner, or some combination to work her arts. His brain, born in the dark ages of so-called pragmatic thought, could never conceive of the humanistic abilities of a New World witch-woman. All he could do was trust, and know that whatever transpired, they would be together. Abstract echoes of another mind's eye danced over his flesh. He felt the heat of her presence and the comfort of her youth throughout his body. Where would such a touch lead? To what moment in such a life would the searching rest? He heard the whispered chant soaking into his being. Where land meets flesh, let being find its crest, let meadow breeze and mountain stone find pain with pleasure, ash with dust, let mind know leisure and body lust, step through moments of fame and shame, through sands of seconds where life once came. The words began to float as he slowly fell back past years of lonely effort, of unquestioned leadership, and the turbulent and exciting growth of the Marantine Triskelion into the history of Earth. Like a pure soul that she was, Tamara seemed to soar next to him like some enchanted white bird. He turned to the changing images. Where had he been forced to lose the hope of youth for the cold demands of the crown's cold ring of gold? In the flood of time, he at first seemed lost. A million images, sounds, smells, and feelings rushed at him in a confused mass of unsettled moments. Then, a firm location in the clouds of lost seconds began to hold his awareness. Little could he know that their souls were crossing the fabric in the wall of dimension to slip toward the past. Less than darkness surrounded his being, less than nothingness, more than all there is. Moments seemed to pull him. The power of events drew him back towards what had been. Not just what he had chosen to remember, but what had really taken place. The images within his memory acting as focusing points, for the significant incidents in his life acted like a tuner for a power far greater than anything Mako understood. Soon, a small dot in the foreverness grabbed for his awareness. Yes, it had been in another winter. The winter of the Battle of the Bay. The winter when Mako Shark Rampant helped rewrite the face of the future. The winter fate stole his happiness. Mako jolted in a futile attempt to break Tamara's spell, but the power of her youthful desire proved too great for his tired soul to fight, and with the helpless turning of a corner in the forgotten streets of his mind, they started to recover the moment from time that had changed everything. Alright, so I had a few thoughts. I'll be quick with them. Thought number one, cannot keep his eye on the POV ball. For fuck's sake, who, what, and when is even going on right now, my dude? Thought number two, what time period is this intended to feel like? Choose three more examples. Thought number three, hello, I am trite sentiment sausage in boring blather casing. Can we do rambling exposition for breakfast? There are eggs.
Thought number four. The pathos is so real, my hair dye got a nosebleed. Thought number five. Be on the lookout for the next big character editions, Napoleon Sneakweasel and his sidekick Beagle Virtuous. They have a pet Unicropolis named Heroism Parade and everyone wears toe pants now instead of socks. Thought number six. This does seem to allude to what will have been his plan to take over Marine County, uh, but like how it talks about American terrorists and the quest for liberty and stuff. He's just shellacked 400 pounds of bonus DLC on top of it until the original substance is very, very hard to see. And of course, thought number seven, tighten it up. Last but not least, thought number eight, gross. So gross. So, so gross. Anyway, this has been, uh, what did I decide to call this? data kerfuffle that's what we went with i'd like to give a shout out to mike the guy who gave me the thing and the copy of the stuff to read and to sonia from sweden my favoriteist wonk i've been anna you can find me on twitter at veritopathy v-e-r-i-t-o-p-a-t-h-y or on facebook in the knowledge fight group because that's the only thing i do on facebook i used free music from the internet from freestockmusic.com that is unknown energy by docs and i suppose i have a patreon as well but i don't want to profit from this since that would probably be illegal uh love you wonks have a good night